Aguinaldo! This, this is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. And Brooke Huard, Huard. And Brooke Huard. Now here are your hosts, Brock Huard and Mike Salk. Good morning, everyone. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com, Seattle Sports app, and yes, podcast platforms from here to Tuscaloosa and everywhere in between and even maybe even beyond that. That's just how we do, man. We're everywhere today. Podcasts without borders. Podcasts without borders. Without rules, really, quite frankly. Stud rebel. That's how we roll, man. That's how we roll. Uh, Good morning to everybody. I will admit... Today used to be my favorite day of the year, and now it might be my least favorite day of the year. Very challenging. Always loved July 31st because it was the Major League Trade Deadline, and now they've changed it to tomorrow, which is, you know, fine, but it doesn't have the same ring to it. It was always July 31st, and now all of a sudden it's August 1st. It's like, all right, it kind of changes every year. Like, I don't know. I just... That doesn't really do it for me, some of the change, but whatever. Sorry about that. I do, I do love the trade deadlines. One of my favorite days on the sports calendar has been since I was a kid. I love the idea of talking about what your team can do to get better and what everyone else is doing and watching the deals go down. Baseball trades are just my favorite thing. I love the whole, you know, prospects for current players, expiring contracts. Like there's just so many different things to break down and contracts in a baseball trade. And they just happen a lot more than other sports. So I'm really excited for the next 24, I guess it's about 33 hours or so until the trade deadline. I'm pretty excited for all of that. It balances off my depression with my favorite month of the year coming to an end because I love July. By far my favorite month. July is one and everything else is like down the road. July is perfect. (laughs) This has how much of the trade deadline date changing has to do with your unhappiness? Well, no, I mean, just like instead of balance, like it used to be like, OK, it's my favorite day of the year. And I focused on that instead of the it being the end of my favorite month. Uh-huh. And now, you know, it's just the end of my favorite month, which kind of stinks. Like tomorrow will be great. It'll, yeah. You know, August is probably top three if we're doing months ranked. Have but we done that? I don't know. But July is so far ahead of every other month that, you know, sort of a bummer to see it come to an end today. It comes to an end with the Mariners playing some pretty good ball and just making things confusing as hell. Like this, this is a very, very confusing spot that they have put themselves into. They're playing their best baseball of the year. Right. Can we agree that this is the best they've played kind of consistently here? They had an excellent July. They were one of the best teams record wise over the course of the month. Other than their just sort of weird slip up against Detroit, losing two out of three. They've really played pretty darn well series by series. And quite frankly, they've still lost probably five games this month. They could have or should have won. I mean, it's really been remarkable how they've played and and the kind of spots that they've put themselves in. But over the course of the last week, you're seeing the bats come to life, all these games where they're hitting 10 or more hits in a game and the home runs are starting to show up. It's almost like the weather changing has been somewhat of a a boon to their offense. 
I don't know. I'm just, you just I asked was, if we can all agree that this is the first time they've played, or the best that they've played consistently. I is. would say it's the first time they've played yeah. consistently. Good point. Absolutely. Season. Yes. This is the first stretch that we've seen. 100% true. It's the first stretch where they, I totally agree with that, where they've looked like the team that they were built to be, which is why I'll keep kind of coming back to saying, like, I don't think it was the construction of the team. I think good players didn't play well for a while. Happens. And even then, you know, I mean, like, why do they lose on Saturday? I mean, you know, a couple of reasons. Brian Wu couldn't hold the lead and, you know, Munoz gives it up again. That's now happened kind of a few times recently. And maybe that's something we should be sort of watching for until he kind of gets it back together. But, you know, Julio's got another chance in the ninth inning and unfortunately falters once again in that moment. If Julio, what is he, 0 for 12? Is that what it is now in the ninth inning of close games? I think it's 0 for 12. If he's three for 12, right? 250 batting average, you have three more wins and you are two and a half games out in the division. Think about that. That's the difference. Two hits, three hits, excuse me. Three hits would have you two and a half out in the division this morning, but they didn't come. They haven't come over the course of the year. And because of it, you're faced with what I think is an incredibly challenging spot. How do you make this team better? How do you how do you commit to them for this year? On the other hand, how do you not? You're not that far out of it. Right? I mean, just yeah. I mean, Texas, I know they're loading up. Oh, watch out for Texas. Okay, well, I've heard it before. And they've lost three straight. They've lost seven of their last ten. Yeah, they had a losing record in July. Yeah. Again, i I just and that's with a uh, five or six game win streak coming out of the break. Like, I'm sorry, I I just, I think a lot of what happened in Texas was they got hot and they did it against some of the worst teams in baseball on a fairly regular basis. So, yeah, I I don't, I'm not saying they're not a good team. Of course they are. You don't, you don't put together a first place record into August and with that kind of run differential without being a good team. They're a good team. I don't think they're a great team. Like, they're okay. They're good. I don't think they have significantly more talent than you do. Quite frankly, I still look at the Mariners roster, and I think it's just as good, if not better. They haven't played like it over the course of this year, and certainly not when they played each other. But I think the Mariners are better than they were at that point, and I don't think the Rangers are particularly great. The Rangers are showing that they're going all in right now. They are. Are the Mariners going to do that? Well, but the Rangers have a a five-and-a-half game lead on the Mariners. Like, it's one thing to say you're a better team. It's another thing to have shown it. And that's why the Mariners are so freaking frustrating. They should absolutely be putting themselves in a spot where they're right there with the Rangers going all in. I can't argue that they've done that. Like, you go all in when you know you're going to make the playoffs and then you're going to give yourself a shot. The Mariners might make the playoffs. They're not. They're certainly not toast. But you're going to, like, bet the farm, bet your future that this team, based on how inconsistent it's been all year until recently, and just the fact that they've found themselves five and a half, four and a half out in the in the two uh, spots to make the playoffs, that's far from a guarantee. Quite frankly, the odds are against you. So I, I could write this however you want to write it, man. I, I could give you a 20-minute diatribe on why this team needs to buy and if they do and you bolster an already good team that is finally showing who they are that you can absolutely catch a mediocre to good range you know a good rangers team but not a great one 
I could also make you a very compelling argument that prices are sky high and you have a couple of assets that you could sell that would bring back a legitimate return that will make you better and strengthen some of these positions that not only are a problem this year, but might be a problem down the road. What are you doing at first base if this is the future for Ty France? What are you doing at third base if Eugenio Suarez is starting to fall off a cliff? Although, obviously, he's proven in the last month or so that maybe rumors of his demise have been a little exaggerated. What are you going to do in right field moving forward if Teo's not your guy? What are you going to do at second base where you don't seem to have anybody long-term or anyone in the system short of Cole Young, who's a few years away? Like, there's real holes and questions, not just short, but long-term for this Mariner team that you could be able to to legitimately solve if you trade Paul Seawald, et cetera. I believe that because of all of that, Jerry's going to have to try to thread that needle. He's going to buy sell. It's a, it's a hard, it's a hard path to walk down. And I know that there's a Mariner fans that are, and I'll talk about this a few times today, that are going to immediately point to a couple of years ago when they traded Kendall Graveman at the at the deadline, and they sort of bought and sold at the same time that year, and how the clubhouse was in shambles. Can you truly trade Paul Seawald and keep the clubhouse focused on winning this year? I think it'll be easier this time around. I think that the thing about the Graveman trade that that was so challenging is the timing of it. Nobody expected it. Nobody had been talking about dealing Kendall Graveman. And it came after, you know, win of the year that night. The difference is if you trade Paul Seawald tomorrow, no one's shocked. We've been talking about it for weeks. They've brought up the idea. Like, the clubhouse isn't shocked. The fan base shouldn't be shocked, especially if they've been paying attention. And if you're doing it as part of a buy-sell Hopefully, given the value you could get, he's not an expiring contract rental player. You're getting a year and a half of Paul Seawald if you trade him somewhere. So there's some real significant value that could be brought back, maybe even in replacing one of those positions we were just talking about immediately, like for the next few years. So there, there, are, there are some ways to do it that make it worthwhile both for now and for the future. And without the shock to the system that Kendall Graveman was a couple of years ago. So, I, I mean, I, I could walk you through any scenario and defend it this morning. But you think that we've played well enough to not just be straight sellers? No. I think Ooh, I could argue okay. for straight selling. All right. Like, hey, guys, not going to happen. You, 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 get, you had your chance. There's some accountability for not having hit this year. Guess what? There's accountability. This team showed that it wasn't consistent enough. I could make you that case, too. I think any of the three things have merit. Well, Brock wants to make his case later, so you pick the opposite one. We'll do it like okay. We'll do it, you know. Uh, I'm happy to do that. First take battle, I, battle rap. <laughs> I am happy to fake whatever position since you, you need me to. Since you could do either, I, I, man, I got to tell you, this is why they get paid to do it, and we don't. I have, and they know more obviously than we do, and they have a better sense as to what the the returns are for some of these guys that we're talking about. But this is how you reshape your team. This is how you build the next couple of years and do it the right way. And you better you better get it right today because it's a good opportunity for you moving forward. All right. Coming up, we'll give you everything you need to know. Uh, we'll tell you why the Mariners are in this position more. We'll take us around the weekend. Uh, we were also out at training camp yesterday. I got to spend a delightful couple hours with Mora out in the beautiful sun yesterday, <laughs> uh, which was a blast. And uh, we'll give you guys some observations from camp. So kind of a uh, kind of a huge Monday morning here on Brock and Salt. Oh, Quandre Diggs. 
at 8.30, not on the golf course this morning, which should be great. So uh, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. I don't know what in the world you're supposed to do with this Mariner team. After an incredibly frustrating first half plus more of the season, the Mariners are now one of the hottest teams in baseball this month. They win yet another series this weekend. They take two out of three from Arizona. They finish with a dominating shutout yesterday, led by their ace, Luis Castillo. The Diamondbacks all-star Castillo set for the belt. Here's the pitch. Swing and a miss. Blows it by him. 98 upstairs. He flashes the Castillo flex as he strikes out the side. You like the Castillo flex where he sort of turns around and gives a little pump of the fist? I like it. I love it. I think it's pretty good. It's a pretty good little celebration. Clearly, he's into the game. I don't like that fan that wouldn't shut up yesterday. Did you hear that in the background? No. Oh, man. What was up with the fan? Just yelling, screaming. You could so loud you could hear him on the broadcast. Yeah, the that's time. no thank you. We're we're done on that. Uh, Scott Service pretty excited about what he got out of his ace. I think it's about a year ago today, or maybe yesterday, we acquired Luis Castillo, and uh, what a trade! Um, he has changed uh, just that kind of the whole demeanor around our pitching staff, and he is the rock. He's the guy we lean on, and and he showed up today. Outstanding effort. He, he did show up and what they needed, right? Again, trying to win these series to prove to management that this is a team worth continuing to invest into this year. So they could have swept this series very easily. Julio, unfortunately, another ninth inning chance on Saturday. Couldn't deliver. Deadline is tomorrow. They're getting towards crunch time, obviously. Texas swept over the weekend. They've lost 7 of 10. So the Mariners are just five and a half back in the division. The Astros lost yesterday as well. So they're just four and a half out in the wild card. It's not where they want to be, obviously, nor where they should be. But is it far enough back to say definitively that they're out of it? Of course not. Next 24 hours are going to continue to have a massive effect on this team's future. Win tonight will certainly help. Red Sox in town for three. Last game before the trade deadline, of course, George Kirby against Nick Pavetta, who was just brought back into their rotation after being thrown out of it. Here's the second thing you need to know. Well, nothing's ever perfectly smooth. Looks like Seahawks training camp is going to follow that rule. Two top running backs, both out of action right now. Both Ken Walker with a groin issue. Zach Charbonnet dealing with a shoulder. Uh, he's got a little groin thing that, he's, that uh, kind of bothered him getting into camp here. So uh, we're just keeping him quiet for a bit. Zach, is, uh, he, he's got a little a little shoulder thing that we're... We're checking out right now. Take some time to figure it out. They're just taking some time to, to figure it out. I don't know. It's been three days now that Ken Walker hasn't practiced. Is Pete concerned? He's not practicing, so I don't like that. I'm concerned about that. <laughs> I think that pretty well sums things up. And then uh, it's been a couple of days now for Charbonnet, so we'll see what happens next, whether they can get out there today. It's a pretty good opportunity for Kenny McIntosh, who actually had one of the best days at practice yesterday while we were there. Good to see Noah Fant off the PUP list and at least going through walkthroughs. That leaves five guys, including Tariq Woolen, Brian Monet, Jamal Adams, Jordan Brooks, as some of the familiar names who are waiting to practice. I would expect that Tariq is the only one of those that comes off that list fairly soon. The stars of camp, at least from what I saw yesterday, Jackson Smith and Jigba for sure. Bobby Wagner, you would certainly have to put into that list as well. He was phenomenal yesterday. And then just all of the cornerbacks, man, all of them. First time in ages, this team has the players back there to really fear. And that's watching them without Tariq Woolen right now. So that's been a pretty incredible story. They'll put the pads on for the first time today. Uh, So I'm going to try to get out there for the second straight day. Oh my gosh. 
two days in a row. It's going to be great. Here's the third thing you need to know. Well, while the Mariners are essentially pulling a hamlet and waiting until the last possible moment to decide what to do, the market's certainly moving, especially in their division. Texas made a couple of deals over the weekend to strengthen their rotation. They had Max Scherzer, pretty big name, and Jordan Montgomery give up their numbers 3, 11, and 14 prospects in the process. Angels add to their lineup with C.J. Crone and Randall, Randall Gritchick. They add him for them from Colorado. And then the two that might be most relevant, especially for a Seawald value, uh, Houston adds Kendall Graveman again. They give up a former first-round catcher to do so. The Blue Jays bolster their pen by dealing with St. Louis for flamethrower Jordan Hicks, giving up the number seven prospect they have. So, uh, yeah, that sort of starts to set a value. The thing is, Graveman and Hicks, both expiring contracts. So I would think Paul Seawald worth even more than either of those two would be. That's everything you need to know. Deadline's tomorrow. Somebody in the 509 here is really, really wanting to know about your uh, Moto Pizza experience. Oh, yeah. I got a couple Man. tweets about that. A lot of you. We need to know. We deserve to know. All caps. Yeah. So Moto Spectacular uh, ordered it in, in uh, you know, April and uh, got it on Friday night. Yeah. Um, Avery's friend Jack was over with his family. Jack not wouldn't believe me. I was like, I ordered in April. I was like, no, you didn't. I'm like, yeah, that's when we ordered it. And he's like, I don't believe you. You're just messing with me. I was like, I showed him the thing on my phone. He's like, no, that's a different receipt. I'm like, dude, it <laughs> says order April 23rd, pick up July 28th. What's this kid talking an investigator? About? Yeah. Like, why would he not do? Dude, why would it matter? Like a PI? I mean, his brother Will's walking around in a freaking Spider-Man costume with the hood on all and over his face all night. He could barely even eat the pizza. Uh, Moto Pizza, spectacular. Good. Really, really excellent. The Mr. Pig, great sort of pulled pork or there's pork belly, pork belly, and other yeah. stuff on there. Avery kind of objected to them calling it the Mr. Pig. She's like, let's just call it pork, so that you know you don't have to think about what you're eating, which is very Avery. <laughs> I would tend to agree with that. Uh, the clam chowder pizza, really good. Had like sort of a cream sauce on it. The Dungeness crab was great. The whole Detroit style thing is just phenomenal yeah. with the cheese that goes all the way to the edge. Yeah, crispy. Can't, uh, yeah, super crispy. Yeah, it was pretty great. So picked Good. it up in West Seattle, and uh, yeah, it's delightful. Awesome. Yeah, no, no, uh, no complaints whatsoever. We'll shout out to uh, to Moto Pizza. Go, All right. On. Well, that's what I did this weekend. What else was going on between practice and another series for the Mariners and other stuff around our city? Mora, as she does every Monday at six thirty, will take us through a busy, busy sports weekend. It's next on Brock and Salk. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Yeah, people are saying bees only sting once before dying. I don't think so. I think that's a myth. This bee got me three times. I'm telling you. I think there are certain kinds that do and certain kinds that don't, aren't there? I don't know. We need a bee expert. My dad was telling me I need to start mowing the lawn wearing a full beekeeper's outfit, which, you know, I don't think I'm going to do. My dad, by the way, seems normal. There seems to be a like a budding, a budding competition going between Pete Carroll and my dad. Now, it's one sided. Pete doesn't know about it. But I saw I, and we're going to go around the weekend here in a moment. You've created this. Well, I created it, but now it's sort of taken on a, a mind of its own. So our life of its own. So, Pete, there, there was the video what last week, right, of Pete kind of jumping up to touch the the ceiling as he was kind of running out right above the door frame. 
and, you know, how athletic is Pete at age 71? And he's athletic. I mean, Pete moves around great. I mean, he's with it. He's sharp. He's still coaching an NFL football team. My dad's retired. He doesn't do jack squat. But he's still in pretty good shape, even a year, a year after his heart attack. And so, you know, he's out there. He played four games this weekend in 90-degree heat and humidity at a softball tournament. I mean, he's still out there kind of doing his thing. And so I thought that, you know, the Seahawks were – or that, uh, that, that, that my dad was – maybe just as athletic, athletic, maybe even more so than, than Pete. So I post a little video of my dad kind of, you know, catching the ball, catching ground balls, throwing the ball around with me and my daughter uh, on the beach from uh, a week or two ago. And then I was watching and my dad was like, okay, let me, let me go see this Pete video. So he went and watched the Pete video. It was like, were you kidding me? Like he jumped up an inch to touch a door frame. He's like, I'm bending down. I got my knees bent. I'm picking the ball up and throwing the ball. So now my dad is sort of talking trash about like what he can do athletically over Pete. And then yesterday, Brock, well, I was watching more and I were watching Pete kind of run around yesterday. And I was like, you know what? I think my dad's just straight up faster at this stage. A couple of years older than Pete. I mean, he's 70, about to be 75. Dang. But he's, I think he's faster than Pete, certainly in a short sprint. And then Brock started talking like he started showing us that Pete was running 100 yard gassers. Uh-huh. Now, this is where I think Pete might have my dad beat. I, I, I initially said my dad could absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's no way my dad could do that. You can do it. He only has to do trips around the bases now. Right. So now over a 40 yard dash, which is basically like running from home to second or from first to third. I think my dad beats Pete pretty handily. I think it's a pretty good like it's not a race. Okay. now over 100 yards. I think you'd start to have some issues. One, my dad refuses to do anything that involves endurance ever. And two, now that he's had a heart attack, we don't need him like keeling over during that during that (laughs) process. So I don't know that I, I feel as good about my dad in a 100 yard sprint. But he is like legit talking trash about Pete and wants to like, yeah, run him down over a 40 yard dash. So (laughs) with that as the background, Maura, what uh, did we miss this weekend? (laughs) Thank you for bringing us up to date on that. Uh, By the way, also uh, looked up here. It says wasps and bees can sting more than once because they can pull out their stinger without injuring themselves. Honeybees have special hooks on their stinger that keep it in the skin after they sting someone. Okay. well, somebody else is saying I got bit, not stung. Is there a difference? I've never heard that before. Someone also says bees are attracted to Dior Sauvage. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I always put that on before I do my uh, lawn care. (laughs) Ridiculous. I must have made quite a scene, like, you know, running and swatting as I'm running around my house yesterday. Hurts too, man. Yeah. You'll be all right. I think I'm going to live. Yeah. I'm I'm expecting to. Now it just itches. Yeah. Worst part about it. Last time I got stung, I remember that too. And I don't remember that as a kid. I don't know if you just develop more allergies as an adult or what, but weird. All right. Friday, the Mariners got to work quickly, scoring four runs in the first inning. JP, Julio, and Teoscar loaded up the bases, and Cal Raleigh and Tom Murphy drove them in with back to back doubles. Here was Tom Murphy's. The pitch. Swung on, driven to deep left center field, headed for the 413 sign. It bounces up against the wall. Tail walking home, Cal walking home. Tom Murphy with a two-run double. And the Mariners have a 4-0 lead here in the first inning. It was so funny. At the beginning of the year, we talked about what the Mariners would look like against lefties. And Tom Murphy was kind of a big part of that look, right? And they struggled so badly against lefties early in the year. I mean, they were... 
any lefty, didn't matter who he was, could just go in and completely shut this team down. And Kelnick was the only one. I know, which is the only guy who wasn't supposed to. But Pollock was awful against lefties. Teo was awful. Julio was awful. Uh, Who am I missing? Suarez was awful. These guys, France, all these big right-handed hitters they have that are supposed to pound lefties were doing exactly the opposite of that. And then, you know, I remember even commenting at the beginning of the year, like, well, why does this lineup look like this? I'm like, well, you should normally get Tom Murphy in there, and he wasn't in there that day. What? And people were just like, how dare you put Tom Murphy as a, like, hey, the guy can hit lefties. I'm not telling you Tom Murphy is going to be a, you know, triple crown threat or anything like that. He's a backup catcher. So, no, you don't, like, brag about who your backup catcher is. But Tom Murphy can hit lefties. And certainly now he's raised his batting average over 275 or something like that over a couple days ago. He's hitting for power. He's had a bunch of doubles recently. He's an important part of what they're doing so much so that, you know, was it yesterday they had or two days ago? They had both him and Cal in the lineup together just to try to make sure you're continuing to get the best out of your team. Dude hits lefties. Throughout Corbin Carroll, too. Did you see that? What'd you say? When he threw out Corbin Carroll? Yes, I did see that. Like Fine, actually can actually play behind the plate as well. Yes. All right. Yeah. And Scott Service spoke about that after the game, why he had Murphy in that DH spot and what they've been getting from both their catchers. Those guys have worked really hard. You know, they're out here early, taking the extra BP at one o'clock, one thirty. He and Cal. Um, nobody more consistent than Murphy is at it, and he's getting the results. Um, good for him. I think. You know, you got to ride those guys. They're both swinging the bat really well right now. They're both catching well. Uh, I don't want to wear either one of them, like, run them into the ground just by playing them, you know, four, five, six days in a row. So it's a nice problem to have. We just go back and forth defensively and keeping both of those bats going is really important for us. It was also a great day for Logan Gilbert. He went six and a third innings, only gave up two runs, no walks, and struck out five. It was the bottom of the seventh when he got into some trouble with runners at second and third and only one out. Matt Brash came in, and that's when the two runs scored off of a wild pitch and a throwing error by Cal. Brash then gave up a walk and a single, but was able to get the final two outs without any more runs scoring. Munoz and Seawald each pitch a scoreless inning to seal the 5-2 win for the M's. Yeah, you kind of had to have that one, right? You need to, I mean, the real goal was to sweep this series. I know that you never kind of go in expecting a sweep. But they're putting themselves in a spot where, right, kind of need to do that once or twice. That's been flailing a little. Yeah, no, they haven't done it. They didn't do it. I know you're going to get to Saturday here in a moment. But I I think that what this team has either needed to do was sweep a few series or win them all. And recently they've just been choosing to win them all. But gosh, they've been so close to the sweeps. Nice to see Logan Gilbert go out there. Is that going to be his last start as a Mariner? I don't think so. Something tells me he's not getting dealt at the deadline, but. You know, Oof, it's man. possible that's the last time we'll see Logan Gilbert. It's just just hearing that sentence kind of yeah. felt weird. Yeah. Well, it's. I mean, look, I don't think they're going to I know that we've heard the whole wave in the white flag thing on this year for Paul Seawald. I think I can say fairly clearly that that's not true, depending on what else they do around it. I mean, I guess there's a scenario in which, in which it's part of a white flag waving, but I don't think the idea of trading Paul Seawald means you're waving the white flag. If you're trading Logan Gilbert this year, knowing that Brian Wu is sort of losing some of his effectiveness, etc., to me, that is a plan for the future, not just for this year. But I will say, if you're trading Logan Gilbert, you're getting back major league talent. So it's not like you're just building for the future. You're reshaping your team. I don't think it's going to happen, but it's at least worth noting that that might be the last time we ever see him. 
Ugh. Walter. <laughs> <laughs> Brock would be so upset. I know. Now that he's married, <laughs> I know. It's finally hitting the peak of his powers. Uh, Why don't you well, trade some single guy? Weird workout equipment. That's good to talk about. Well, as you mentioned, uh, Brian Wu struggled a little bit on Saturday. Tom Murphy and Cal Raleigh teamed up to get the M's on the board first again when Murphy's sack fly scored Raleigh in the top of the second, giving them a one nothing lead. A Suarez sack fly in the third to drive in Wong made it 2 nothing, and in the top of the fourth, Tom Murphy hit a solo shot to extend it to 3 nothing. so really big weekend for him. Uh, but the Diamondbacks got some traffic on the bases in the fourth and pulled within one and a triple and a single to start the fifth, tied it at three. Then Cal, Te Oscar, and Ty struck out in the eighth, it was an unfortunate series of events for Munoz after that. He walked Corbin Carroll, who then advanced to second on a buck and then managed to steal third. So when Dominic Canzone hit a single, Carroll scored the winning run. And then, as we mentioned earlier, and as Brock texted us immediately, Julio was up in the ninth with two outs and uh, J.P. Crawford on first, and he struck out swinging, unfortunately. He sure did. Uh, sort of, you know, been an unfortunate reality this year is that Julio in those moments has just been unable to deliver, and it stinks. Like, it's just really too bad because if he could have just done it sometimes, this team would be in a pretty different position. Yeah, as let, let's kind of Saturday in some ways was the most interesting game. Brian Wu was good, not great. I guess is how I would phrase it. And, and it's starting to show he's got a lefty problem. I mean, it, he, he needs to figure out which of these secondary pitches he's going to use against lefties. Can he make the cutter work to try to saw them off inside? Is he going to try to make a changeup work or something that moves away from them? Because obviously just throwing fastballs to the lefties is not enough. Yeah. And especially where he's thrown a few of them. I mean, he put a couple of balls right dead smack middle, middle, and they got torched. So he's got good stuff. He's got good command. I certainly have his fastball. And I think that there's a a really, really high ceiling for where Brian Wu can go. I'm not saying he's going to be an ace pitcher, but I think he is a major league starter and probably a good one. I think he's going to have to figure out what to do this offseason to get lefties out. And I think he's perfectly capable of doing that. So... Yeah, it was, uh, it was uh, another start that sort of continues to define who he is, which is right now a good major league pitcher with the possibility of becoming maybe a very good major league pitcher. Yeah, Service spoke about him kind of needing to be able to rely more on his secondary pitches after the game as well, but he, he should be able to get there. Um, and, you know, was, uh, some of their other starting rotation has struggled with lefties lately too. Kirby has had his own struggles, so yep. hopefully but he can usually work through it. Um, we'll, we'll get to Sunday here and quickly because we do want to get to Aaron Rodgers. Oh, yes, for sure. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Uh, Mariners so. win yesterday. So what happened <laughs> with Aaron Rodgers? Uh, the Mariners got started early again with walks from Crawford and Ford and singles from Julio, Teoscar, and France to make it 2 nothing in the first. And then J.P. Crawford did this in the second. 3-1 pitch. Swing on, driven deep to right. Down the line. Looks like it's going to stay fair. It does. Hey, now. Home run, J.P. Crawford. 3 nothing Seattle here in the second inning. J.P. with his ninth home run, 36th RBI. Jumped on a 3-1 pitch. You can hear that fan again. Do you hear it? I yeah. People were texting loud. in about it like, oh, my god, Very noisy. So ridiculous. The entire game. But uh, but yeah, good for JP. He has, I believe, surpassed his career home home run total. Well, remember he went he to work at Driveline this off season. He got bigger. He said he was trying to add a little bit more pop, and he has. Good for him. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Crawford went two for three with two walks on the day, and in the top of the ninth, he led the M's off with a double. Suarez drove him in with a single, and the M's extended the lead to 4 nothing. Luis Castillo was fantastic, giving up just two hits over six innings. Uh, he walked just one batter and struck out seven. And then Topa, Brash, and Saucedo each pitched a scoreless inning for the combined shutout. Hmm. Probably the most important news to come out of the game, though, guys, is that something happened to the Trident. What? Lastly, what happened with the Trident? I don't know. I picked it up, and it fell apart. I got I to gotta talk to our clubbies because I... JP's homer, I went down, picked it up, and literally I didn't even know the bottom fell off, but yeah, it split in half. It's dangerous. Might be time for a new one. <laughs> you wore it out. Yeah. So I guess JP said someone owes him some money. We may need to start a GoFundMe or something. <laughs> or, or what do you think? Like, is that is that from, like, they're they're doing better now? Do we let the Trident go? Do you want, you want my answer? The Trident's great. You know you're going to hate the Trident, so of course you want to bury I it anyway. I think it's so fun. Let's get to Aaron Rodgers. Okay. Jeez. I don't want to embarrass myself. Your favorite month is ending, and the trade deadline's not on the same day, so you're going to be grumpy pants. Okay. (laughs) Not grumpy pants. But maybe the trident's trying to tell you something. Okay. That's all I'm saying. Like, maybe the trident is... Like, hey, I'm tired. Just maybe, you know, listen to to what's going on around you. The world will tell you things if you just... You know, open up your ears to listen. Well, that's you got to really start to commune with nature. Are you Aaron Rodgers? That Rogers? sounds a little bit like Aaron Rodgers. So. Accessing and tapping into auras, <laughs> timelines, yeah. past lives. Right. I mean, all these different experiences, and you're you're retaining a large amount of information in a very short period of time. Right. So if you can just pay attention to what the world is telling you, and in this case, maybe what the trident is telling you. <laughs> yeah, we can get blasted out to the ethers, and you can receive Christ consciousness uh, codes just- and see the potential of the human experience, and dive and swim through the waters of the Akashic Ocean. Yeah, I would say that. can't wait for a chance to play Blue of Earth. Well, I don't need the chance. She's telling you what to do with the trident. (laughs) Okay. Listen to Blue of Earth, please. We're moving on. As always, the message, listen (laughs) to Blue of Earth. Unclear. Uh, um, So last week we heard Sean Payton's comments Uh, on um, his thoughts on why Russell Wilson struggled last year. Burn it to the ground. Threw the entire Broncos organization from last year under the bus and said everyone had dirty hands and it was quite possibly one of the worst coaching jobs in NFL history. Um, Aaron Rodgers did not take kindly to that because, you know, his bestie, Nathaniel Hackett, was the his, coach last year. Yeah. And his now, bestie that he didn't want to go join in Denver last year. Yeah, that that bestie. Well, yeah. But now he they're reunited. He's his offensive coordinator with the Jets. And he was asked by Peter Schrager on NFL Network about Sean Payton's comments. He's arguably my favorite coach I've ever had in the NFL. Just his approach to it, how he makes it fun, how he cares about the guys. Just how he goes about his business with respect, with leadership, with honesty, with integrity. And it made me feel bad that someone who's accomplished a lot in the league is that insecure that they have to take another man down to set themselves up for some sort of easy fall if it doesn't go well for that team this year. thought it was way out of line and appropriate, and I think he needs to keep uh, my coach's names out of his mouth. Pulled out the mm. old... Mm-hmm. Keep your name out of my mouth. Insecure. Well, for for the record, Sean Payton said it was one of the worst coaching jobs in NFL history, but he did not say Nathaniel Hackett's name. True. (laughs) That is true. So let me just see if I can get this straight. Aaron Rodgers thinks that the biggest kiss-ass coach in the league history is a good coach and maybe arguably his favorite. 
the guys who he makes like stand outside his house on PCH because he's hanging out with his Eastern medicine friends. He thinks that's a really good coach. Boy, I wonder why the guy who puckers up to kiss your rear end is your favorite, Aaron. You don't say. The guy who was so busy kissing Russell Wilson's tail last year that he forgot to, I don't know, coach the team and set up parameters to make it work for the entire 53-man roster instead of just one guy? Really? That's your favorite coach? (laughs) You seem to respect him so much that you, oh, I don't know, didn't follow him to Denver last year after they explicitly hired him with the idea of getting you there. What a joke. Yeah, he might be your favorite coordinator in the league, but no, he's not your favorite head coach in the league because he's not head coach material. Sean Payton may be a lot. Sean Payton may be a little um, vocal, but he's not wrong. That was one of the worst coaching jobs in league history because of the way he allowed Russell Wilson to run rampant over the rest of that building and the problems that it led to. Nothing Sean Payton said was wrong. He was absolutely correct. He was being honest. I don't know. Maybe Aaron can do his own research and see what he can figure out about Nathaniel Hackett. <laughs> All right. Did you hear Did you hear Sean Payton's like apology? I don't have the audio of it, but did you hear his apology for what he said? No. Uh, Why would yeah. he apologize? He said it was a learning experience for me. It was a mistake, obviously. Please. I needed a little bit more of a filter. I said what I said, and obviously I need a little bit more restraint, and I regret that. He mentioned also like, Still having his Fox analyst hat on, not his coaching hat. Sean, apologize for nothing. Everything you said was dead on accurate. We all know it. Anybody with a with two eyes and a brain. Except for he passed on giving Russell like any blame. It was like, of course, that's what he did. His his he's going to blame his current quarterback. I'm just saying it's not all dead on Uh, accurate. Then oh, I think all the stuff he said was accurate. He just you know left that part out. I'm with, I stand with Sean Payton. All right. Well, let's squeeze in one more crazy NFL story here. Colts running back Jonathan Taylor met with owner Jim Ursay Saturday to discuss Ursay's comments that he made after the, you know, the running backs were upset about the way salaries are working out. He basically said, like, this was negotiated in the CBA and they should deal with it. Um, <laughs> this was Ursay coming out of that meeting. It was just a, a good conversation. And, and uh, you know, again, you know, we're just... Uh, you know, hopeful and going forward, uh, you know, looking forward to a great season, hoping, you know, hoping Jonathan's a big part of that. So he thought it went well. Meanwhile, Jonathan Taylor then requested publicly a trade <laughs> from the team. Then it's good meeting. <laughs> Jim Ursay talks to James Boyd of The Athletic and says, quote, if I die tonight and Jonathan Taylor is out of the league, no one's going to miss us. The league goes on. We know that. The National Football League rolls on. It doesn't matter who comes and who goes, and it's a privilege to be a part of it. I think we actually have sound of what he said next. The eagle medicine (laughs) is to zoom way out and to see the intricacies of how everything has played out. And then the latest is, as of yesterday, uh, suddenly they're saying Jonathan Taylor developed a non-football injury, his back, and they may put him on the non-football injury list. And Jonathan Taylor says, I have no back pain. I don't know what you're talking about. So this has gotten really ugly. Yeah. Um, Well, we got to get Brock's take on that because he's the one who knows Jim Ursay. And Brock will sort of tell you the guy's nuts. Um, But the whole existential no one will ever miss us when we're dead thing, that's weird. Well, remember when Kyle Shanahan kind of did that? when They were asking him about who his quarterback was going to be one year, and he was like, who knows if we'll even all be here on Sunday. We might <laughs> we might be dead. 
Maybe. Yeah, I guess you never know. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I, I suppose that's a possibility. <laughs> What's a football game, really? I mean... All right. Well, thank you, Maura. That was a good trip around the weekend. Uh, Mariners win two out of three. Seahawks practice. And Aaron Rodgers is striking back at Sean Payton. I think Sean Payton's an egomaniac. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not like I want to be on Team Payton here. I think Sean Payton's kind of an egomaniac. and so I Rodgers. Right. And I don't know whether this is going to work in Denver this year with him. You know, I've talked to some folks who know what they're talking about, who say there could be, you know, major, major problems pretty quickly with Russell, with Payton, et cetera, and that maybe that, that style of coaching just isn't going to work anymore. But I'm not sure that what he said was wrong. I mean, maybe he shouldn't have said it, but I think, you know, I kind of agree with what Tyler Columbus said, which is, he he spent the offseason trying to make Russ accountable, and now he's trying to throw the guy a bone so that he can develop a level of trust and a relationship with his new quarterback who he's got to try to fix and build back up. He's He went out and got another guy in Jarrett Stidham who he paid. He told Russ to get off social media and stop screwing around. And now he's saying, all right, it wasn't his fault to look at all these other guys who played a role in it because he's trying to build them back up so that he can coach him capably this year. I mean, it's a pretty clear plan. It's very Parcells-like, and again, he is straight from the par- from the Parcells tree. So I think I understand what he's doing. Does Aaron Rodgers have an obligation to protect his guy? Of course he does. I don't really blame Aaron Rodgers for protecting his guy. I just think it's pretty rich coming from him, and given the way he seems to treat his quote-unquote favorite coaches, I'm not sure that that's something that really carries a lot of weight with me. But yeah, of course Aaron Rodgers has to stick up for his guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's exactly what you should do. In fact, sometimes you stick up for your partners, your friends, your coaches, etc. And sometimes it even gets you in a lot of trouble with other people around who don't like the things you have to say about those people. I, I'm not saying it has or hasn't. I'm just saying that sometimes I, I understand that you get yourself in trouble trying to, you know, fight a battle on behalf of people you like and respect. Hmm. It happens to the best of oh, us or even the worst of us. Uh, All sorry, right. Did you notice notably absent from Moore's around the weekend was uh, Team Barnes winning the Lion Creek Open and getting to wear the green jackets oh, this weekend. Did you whoa, notice that she I did didn't not lead off with around the weekend? Wow, you so guys are free to contribute to around the weekend. I just wanted no. to, I just make sure you were covering it already. I just didn't know because it was in the trades. And it's kind of so. kind of your thing. I apologize. Yeah, I would I would never I would never interrupt. Yeah, the inaugural <laughs> Lion Creek Open. Walter Hall we got to wear the green jackets. I don't know if you wow. saw on social media, but we won the won the scramble on the tournament. Green so. jackets, huh? Green jackets. Look at me, action. That's yeah. surprising. Gave, so, <laughs> don't worry, we gave, we gave him right back. So you you played the golf and made sure that everybody was looking at you. It was when, over. When, that's when you're a champion, like that's kind of what you do. Really weird that it would go that way. Champs. Brock says that he knows what the Mariners should do with the deadline. That might make him the only one, but it's next on Brock and Salk.